0: Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change Recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Lowe, Blassingame, and I am your host. And this is a Q&A, and I'm here with my producer, Scott. I'm
1: here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here to talk about Q&As. So we're now to the segment where we have a bunch of listener questions ready to go. And so the next few Q&A episodes are going to be from listeners, which is exciting. We love hearing from you. And we appreciate that you wrote us some questions. And we're sorry that you had to wait a minute to hear them. But here we go. (laughs) Okay, so this question is from a listener. It says, I teach at a public high school. I know a lot of my students are struggling with addiction and I feel ill-equipped to deal with it. I find myself thinking, you need to be learning about Vietnam. I assume that that's part of what they're teaching. But at <laughs> home, your parents just got divorced. You're questioning your identity. Your boyfriend is forcing you to do things that you don't want to do. And everyone around you is doing cocaine. I want to help, but I don't blame them for anything they're doing. And I don't know what to do. So this is a... I guess this is kind of in that category of maybe a teacher or a mentor who you maybe can't have the same conversations that you could as a parent. We need help for the public high school teacher. So what do you got for him, Ash?
0: So I love this. Oh, question. sorry.
1: That was from B. I know that gives you a lot of information. We're keeping them anonymous. That was part well, that of- That changes
0: everything. Yeah, this is for B. I mean, I had a whole answer, but now <laughs> I am lost. <laughs> well, B, thank you for your service as a teacher. That is a rough, difficult job and with so many more complexities now than ever before. So. I love in this question that B says, I don't blame them for what they're doing mm. because it really tells me that you're coming from a place of non judgment and that you understand that these kids are just trying to survive the situations with which they were born and that they're just looking for coping mechanisms. And I love the Vietnam, you know, like I, they should be learning about, we have to teach them about Vietnam, but, you know, all <laughs> these things are happening. And what I would say, what was most interesting to me as a teenager when I was fifteen and using, there was this teacher who I, you know, remember to this day and have had uh, contact with since, and he made all of it relevant all of the things that he taught, he found a way to make it relevant to our lives, even in a little way. So for example, if I'm teaching about Vietnam, then I would probably talk about what it's like to have fear and how fear drives groups of people to do things. Have you ever been driven to a behavior out of fear of what, you know, like using things that make it relevant? Why is Vietnam relevant to the traumas that these kids are experiencing? Because it is Is with Vietnam, and I'm again, I'm just using this because it's in there. With Vietnam, you can use examples of coping from Vietnam with drug addiction. People came back. You can talk about the heroin. You can talk about not people not feeling like they fit in, people not feeling, not knowing how to assimilate because their lives were so different. You can talk about trauma. You can talk about, you know, groupthink. You can talk about peer pressure. You could talk, there's so many. I mean, it's actually a fantastic example. You can talk about racism. You can talk about, identity. You can wrap so many life lessons into the conversation about Vietnam and make it interesting in a way that a teenager might want to hear. And what that does... To the ears of the teenagers. Maybe they hear something about Vietnam, you hope. They also hear that you're trying to make things relevant to them. And they hear that you might be a safe person to talk to. A lot of the time, these kids don't have anyone to talk to, any safe adults. They don't know what a safe adult is. And even if you don't have the answers for their life, the likelihood that there is an answer or is a perfect response to save them is is low. And that maybe you're a person they come to when they're struggling. And just having that safe person in their life is more important than having the answer. Sometimes people and especially kids going through this stuff, they just need to be heard. The value of being a person that people who are struggling can come and talk to and can feel like they're not being judged and can feel like you're a safe person is more valuable than having the right answer because there is no right answer. You're not going to solve their problems for them. And making the time that they spend in class feel relevant... So many kids are like, why am I in school? This is boring. I don't care. My life is falling apart. Even that short period of an hour of someone talking about something they care about or is relevant or joyful can be a reprieve from having to think about the other stuff that's going on. I know for me in the midst of my addiction at the you know at the height of my addiction when I was still in school, I remember the the classes that made it relevant and they were interesting and I got sober and reached out to that teacher and have contact with him and because I don't know, I just felt like he knew what was going on in my life and he knew, he got it and he didn't have to tell me, he accepted me. He, I just knew that was something I Remember, in the midst of using chemicals, to not remember. <laughs>
1: yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, let's say that they become a safe person, right? They become identified as like a safe person, right? The way that I treated you in my class made you feel like you seen and like I, I don't know, that I was a safe person to come and talk to. And then they come and talk to you. Do you have like any kind of sort yes. of guide guideposts for that person?
0: Yes. So, a couple of things. Influence is much more powerful than authority. And influence is done rather subliminally in a lot of the time. Oftentimes, by the time that kids are teenagers, they're not listening to what their parents are saying anyway. So I would argue that most parents probably don't have as much influence mm-hmm. as someone outside. Being a teacher who has influence is a very valuable thing and something as a mentor that you can do without specifically talking to them about whatever the topic is. You don't have to address the issue head on. You can be influential through things you say, through experiences that you share, through questions that you ask. I highly encourage mentors and people of influence to get curious about what's going on rather than decide that they can disseminate information because sometimes when you get curious about the behavior or get curious about the belief you get so much more information and you're probably the first person who's actually interested and curious about what that kid thinks or the first person to notice that they You know, experience fear or the first person to share with them a vulnerable story about feelings. That influence, you just being there is really, really helpful and important and saying out loud to people. I'm always here if you need to talk, even if it's something difficult to talk about. And I think that is the best thing that you can do is I'm always here to talk about difficult things anyone needs to talk about. And my office is a judgment-free zone or my whatever. Our conversations are private. That really is an important piece. It feels like it's not enough, but it, it is really valuable.
1: Yeah. Can you think of some more people over the course of your own recovery? What are the things that are really going to mean something to somebody? So, in
0: this situation? so things that I can personally remember, um, teachers, I remember kindness. A lot of teachers were very judgmental. Of had a lot of judgment about me, were annoyed with me. And I can name the teachers over the course of my life who showed just gentle kindness to me. I, I'll give a funny example. So I went to a very strict Catholic school, very, you know, strict Catholic school for eight years. And I did all sorts of things to try to rebel and piss people off. And when I was mm, fifth grade, I don't know. And there was this, we had a library in our school and there was a librarian and she was the sweetest lady. And and I was trying to piss people off. I was angry and I told everybody I was a Satanist. And I didn't know what that meant, (laughs) but I just knew that it was bad. So I, I told everybody I was a Satanist. So I went to the library. It was like, I want books on Satanism. And the librarian was like, okay, sweetie and brought me the bible and handed it to me. <laughs> She's like there's satan in this book, you know, here here and here and whatever. And she smiled and she could not have she did not flinch. She could not have been kinder. And that was it. That was the interaction. But everybody else took the bait. Everybody else had an, you know, like everybody else wanted to be judgmental and mean and angry and react. And what I really needed was someone to be kind to me because I was angry. Mm -hmm. And when you meet anger with kindness over and over and over again, you feel it. Another story like that, I had a teacher come up to me and tell me, you know, kid, you're really smart. And they didn't say, you have a lot of potential if you only worked harder, if you stopped doing... like That's it. You know, kid, you're really smart. I was not a person where it was easy to show kindness to. And... It was very clear that I was angry. I was doing a lot of angry things. I was unpleasant. And when people would show me kindness, it was very strange when you're a teenager using drugs everyone is telling you don't waste your life you have so much potential what are you doing you know everyone is giving you that information you when you have one person who doesn't do that who doesn't bring that into the conversation you you drown out all the negativity and some that positive kindness gets through that. And so I think over the years, the people who showed me kindness at moments where I couldn't show kindness to anyone else or myself were the the times where I really remembered that and felt human, felt like something other than my addiction, something other than my anger. You know, that didn't make me stop using. It didn't make my life, you know, suddenly different. But it stuck in my mind somewhere. And years, you know, decades later, I still remember that. And I think that having those positive experiences is really useful. I'll share an experience from someone else, which I really, I interviewed a woman who was being trafficked at home by her uncle. She would go to school and she was basically catatonic most of the time. She didn't wash her clothes, she didn't wash her hair, and like, All these signs and symptoms of something terrible going on. People just commented on these. Abnormal behaviors of hers, and just with judgment, they brought it. Hey, listen, you're not, you know, like there was no deep act of kindness or noticing her. And she said, I just, no one ever noticed. I was not noticeable. She said, you know, had someone noticed me, I might have told someone what was going on. If I had perceived that there was a safe person at school, I might have told someone what was going on. But that never presented itself to me mm. and that story also is lodged in my brain as be curious about the things that initially cause you to be judgmental get mm. curious about them because you may help a child by just acting kind to them and then they're willing to tell you things they're willing to open up to you and really you know had had there been a person for her like that that may have changed the course of her life drastically, and I know that there are teachers out there who have done things like that.
1: So let's say Ashley Love Blassingame became a teacher, <laughs> oh boy. right? What? Well, first of all, what uh, what subject are you teaching?
0: I'm teaching history.
1: Okay, so or
0: poli sci. I te- I I majored in poli sci, so I'll teach poli sci.
1: We'll say poli sci. Okay, so poli sci teacher. Ashley, you've created the space. It's safe. It's open. What's the place in me sharing about my own experience in this? Like if I am somebody who has is let's say in recovery, what is the, what's the place in sharing some of my own experience? Maybe if I have a student who comes and shares.
0: So I forgot to share this one. I meant to share this one. Mm-hmm. When I was a couple of years sober, I was in community college. Then I wrote a little short story about being Having just taken my year in recovery. Um, it's so my year sober, and the teacher wrote back, Congratulations on your one year chip, smiley face. I went and asked, You know, I was like, Oh my gosh, she's in recovery. And I still see her well over a decade later in meetings. She was going to meetings I was going to, and she, in that way, she disclosed it to me that she knew what. You know, congrats. I didn't write one year chip in there. She disclosed that she knew that at one year you take a chip in her writing, right? And then I went and asked her about it and we talked about it. Sharing that you are in long-term recovery is not inappropriate. It's like sharing that you have an autoimmune disease. And the fact that we think it's inappropriate is just the stigma piece of it. So if you're in recovery and you recover out loud, then that's that is your right. I think when you're sharing as a mentor or influencer or whatever in a way with children about recovery, you share it in a more general way than you would if you were in an, a meeting. I do think that there are some boundaries around that. You know, you don't want to tell them you were the the town hoe. <laughs> like I don't think that that's helpful or necessary. You disclose to them in a general way that you had a substance use problem and that your life became incredibly unmanageable and you learned about the effects on your brain and blah, 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 blah. Like you can share it in a way that is your autoimmune disorder. I mean, it kind of is. It's your body fighting itself.
1: Is there a minimum age that somebody could go to a meeting?
0: So n- no, there's not a minimum age. There are some meetings where you can't take your infant or your child because they'd be disruptive. But I have seen non-disruptive children come to meetings when people didn't have childcare and the kid had headphones on and was hanging out. There are allotene meetings... For teenagers who have family members that are struggling with addiction. And I think that's a really great opportunity and, and resource. And I mean, there are some kids who start going to meetings, you know, 10, 11, 12. Another thing that the teacher could encourage is. Finding ways to bring in speakers, you know, bring in speakers who can talk about things they can't talk about, organizing events at the school with a speaker for the kids, for the parents, and giving extra credit if they go. Mm-hmm. There are things like that that you can, you know, you can get creative. Um, I, a lot of time I tell parents who are dealing with teenage children that the message we're trying to convey to them, the most important thing is that they receive it. And that they digest it, it doesn't matter who it comes from. And if the person who is giving, delivering this super important message is by definition going to be unheard because of who they are, then that's not the person we want to deliver the message, right? So Mm -hmm. if you are the wrong person to deliver the message, then you need to go back to what the goal is. So if the goal is to teach them something about mental health, then you as the teacher may not be that right person because you're their history teacher. But if you organize a speaker or a get-together or a meeting or whatever it is, if you organize something and get them there, that is just as valuable, if not more valuable, than you saying whatever it is.
1: So to sum up, trying to make the lessons applicable so that they they fit with you know maybe something that's relevant to their life. Maybe they hear something in the history or whatever it is that you're supposed to be teaching them that can tie back in their own life, creating that safe space where they feel like you're somebody who can talk to Getting curious about things instead of judging or assuming that they've got all the answers or doing the typical adult thing that they do to them. Kindness, even when, even for the kids who it's hard to be kind to. And then maybe the last one was just even if you can't find the words yourself or you don't feel capable or you, you don't have exactly what to say, then maybe it's just as simple as trying to find somebody who can come in and be Mm -hmm. and, and speak in that space. And then lastly, if you, have some subtle way where you can talk about it if that's part of your story and you can just say hey yeah this you know this is me I can't share with you all the details but yeah I can tell you that I have felt some of those pains before and I can point you in the direction of some things that might be helpful
0: yeah yeah if you're dealing with teenagers and you're going to share any vulnerable things like you know something that you've been through or even sharing about it in a general way I suggest prefacing it with... If you're in a classroom full of kids who may be coming from a much harder circumstance than you, I suggest prefacing it with something that acknowledges that it probably doesn't compare to many of the things that you guys have experienced or going through, but I can relate to the feelings.
1: I think that's all sound advice. And I think this teacher is um, now has all the tools they need in order to... <laughs> All, all this stuff. Go get them, B. Go get them, B. Ash. If people have more questions, we've got some in the in the queue. But if people have questions for these QA episodes, how do they send us their questions?
0: Please send us questions at the email address podcast at lionrock.life podcast at lionrock, L-I-O-N-R-O-C-K dot L-I-F-E.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And and we've done two listener questions at this point and we have not said either of their names. So I think we can be trusted and yeah. we'll keep your anonymity intact.
0: Anonymity.
1: Anonymity. Anonymity. Intact.
0: Anonymity. intact.
1: Ashley, anything you want to leave people with?
0: I want. I just want to reiterate to the teachers out there that are out there teaching and trying to educate. Thank you for what you're doing. And I can't imagine how difficult that is. And we see you.
1: We see you. We appreciate you. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks so much. I hope that helps. And we hope that we hear some more messages from people who might have a question.
0: Amen. All right. This podcast is sponsored by LionRock.Life. Lionrock.life is a diverse and supportive recovery community offering weekly over 70 online peer support meetings, useful recovery information, and entertaining content. Whether you're newly sober, have many years in recovery, or you're recovering from something other than drugs and alcohol, we have space for you. Visit www.lionrock.life today and enter promo code COURAGE for one month of unlimited peer support meetings free. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.